This is Momus the Podcast, and we are your hosts, Sky Gooden and Lauren Wetmore. In this episode, we've brought together a group of artists, curators, and scholars to update the conversation around artist-run culture in Canada. It's a well-known history when approaching legend in this country. The emergence of artist-run centers seeking to address a lack of options for artist representation while forming a network across a vast geography. And then their professionalization when approaching an institutionalization that mirrors the very thing they were made to contravene. Now, in a moment of large shifts across the art sector, with a recent change to our country's funding models and a refocusing of our social values on historically underrepresented groups, our relationship to a Canadian cultural legacy is up for renewal. Old models are being questioned, and significant questions are afoot. Artist-run culture has positioned itself at the leading edge of cultural change. So let's look at how these three elements, funding, sociopolitics, and legacy, are playing out across that sector. Before we start, we'd like to quote two passages from curator Lorna Brown's letter to the editor, published in Philip in 2001, that cover what an artist-run center is and the need for reevaluation. We know it's a hornet's nest to run with any single definition, but this is the one that rings truest in the contemporary moment while addressing the model's deep roots. Quote, It is clear that artist-run centers were formed in relation to the world. Consensus decision-making, collective production, communal art-life arrangements and the like were as directly related to concurrent social and political movements like feminism, gay rights, and anti-racist activism as they were to the need for exhibition space. Like social and political movements, artist-run centers have been over again and again and again. Critical evaluation of such movements and the organizations associated with them are a welcome part of the discourse and the best evidence that we have not seen the last of artists' self-organization and self-determined activity. of the episode, we established two contemporary shifts in the discourse, governance, and practice of artist-run centers. 
First, a major change in government funding. And second, the weighted focus to ensure that the contributions of Indigenous peoples and people of colour are given priority. Beginning our conversation is Caitlin Jones, the executive director of one of the oldest artist-run centres in Canada, Vancouver's Western Front. We've been asking people that we're talking to to maybe just give an overview um, or a quick observation of how they see artist-run culture and centres working in Canada kind of within the past year, the sort of current state as you see it. In terms of the past year, I would say sort of one of, well, there's two things. I mean, I come from a specific context within Vancouver. So there's like precarity of kind of space that exists in Vancouver and I suppose in Toronto as well. Real estate has become a real defining sometimes dividing issue among artist-run centers, certainly in the last five years here. In terms of just like how spaces are able to continue to organically be created, how we can continue to have ongoing artist-run culture when access to space is severely limited. So I think that's sort of the huge issue for me. And then there's this other side to artist-run culture that I have a hard time having my head around which is this, the bureaucracy of artist-run culture and like what does it mean from a bureaucratic standpoint to be an artist-run center you know we've only just gotten the results and this whole new system has only just begun Caitlin is talking about the Canada Council's new funding model, which launched in 2017 and was redesigned to, quote, respond to the needs and the potentials of our changing world. Aside from artist-run centres, there is perhaps no more contentious and complex conversation than the new funding model, so let's be very clear about its terms. Before 2017, there were dedicated funding streams for artist-run centres. In fact, many cite the success of artist-run culture in Canada as directly linked to early and robust funding from the Canada Council for the Arts. Within the new model, there continues to be significant funding available to artist-run centres, and the definition of their activity remains the same. However, that funding is also available to other kinds of practitioners through a stream called artist-driven organisations. Later in this episode, we will discuss this shift with representatives from the Canada Council. I think it's interesting about the question of you know, Canada sort of bureaucratized this notion of an artist-run center so right out of the gates. Is it a positive development that they have kind of de-emphasized the requirements or it's, it's a question that we have just started asking and I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next five years, let's say. Peter Morin is a Taltan Nation artist, curator, and writer. He was the first Indigenous curator in residence at Open Space, an artist-run centre founded in the early 1970s in Victoria, British Columbia, that has recently received heated criticism for the removal of its Indigenous curator position. Peter gives us his perspective not only on this difficult moment for Open Space, but also on his history with the institution and his support of the new Canada Council funding model, which he sees as directly benefiting Indigenous knowledge and practices. How do you regard the recent history and, and crisis at Open Space? It's kind of a battlefield for me, like, it's, you know, artist-run centre culture, art galleries in general. As much as they transform people, they also can exclude people. So what I know about the situation at Open Space is that, so I worked there myself, I worked there from 2009 to 2013, 
we worked really hard to make an inclusive space for indigenous artists and community members. With that, we produced a lot of, I want to say, innovative work. Um, open space uh, is, is made up of people who were, you know, at one point really open. Helen Marzoff, who was the executive director, was really dedicated to sharing and making spaces for indigenous practice and creative expression and artwork. There was a really great team of people there and I made a work there called 12 Making Objects, AKA First Nations Data. And I made it um, in response to Stephen Harper and the government's apology to residential school survivors. What I made wasn't easy but there was a team of people there who were willing to take up the task of honoring and making a space for indigenous knowledge. One of the things that we started when I was there was an indigenous youth artist mentorship program. The work was carried on and built upon by France Trepanier and, and the people in the community who were still there. Um, France is a very community-minded person and and then in 2013, I left because I got a job at Brandon University with the Visual and Aboriginal Art Department. Then there was a, you know, because I'm not, um, what do I want to say? Shit happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. An environment, you know, the environment that was built, which honored indigenous knowledges and people of color knowledges, was threatening to people white people. When I was at Open Space, um, I was told by folks over there, like, why, why aren't we showing more Canadian artists? Why don't we promote Canadian artists? And because Canadian in that circumstance was code for white. Uh -huh. Right? Right. My work at that time was, you know, Aboriginal curator in residence. That didn't, that never precluded me from showing or working with people of color or or white folks, you know, but my priority because there's a lot of history in Canada of exclusion of indigenous knowledges was indigenous practice. So that particular non-subtlety is, is present in this conversation about what happened at Open Space. I think like a healthy organization has a lot of self-reflection, but we can call it a toxicity when the rest of Canada is attempting to reconcile that difficult political history that we are all struggling with and that we've inherited as a result of poor choices by people in power. That toxicity emerges as a result of people feeling threatened, you know? It does strike me, though, that this is an institution that has not just a history of, but as part of its mandate, a responsibility to the Indigenous community and an engagement with the Indigenous community that's continual. So I wonder if you have any feelings around how this, how does that happen? Do certain checks stop getting performed? Are there, is it just one or two bad inclusions on the board that can kind of spoil the well? Or I guess I'm curious on a larger level what you think is required and whose responsibility it is in order for a spoil like that not to occur. Well, I think it's all of it, actually. I don't think that it's just one particular thing. I also think that uh, the power systems that we inherited as 
people of this time uh, are insidious. I mean, racism is, a, is an insidious part of the structure that we've inherited. When I perform indigenous knowledge in Western systems or Western spaces, it messes everything up. And then I think people get tired. And once you get tired, you start to rely on a system that is sick. And then choices are made which stop being building choices. I also like thinking about building. Like reconciliation for me in this exact moment right now is about building, uh, not taking space, not making space, building space and building on the structures of indigenous knowledges. Recently, there was a, a huge shift of the funding structure, which includes one funding stream specifically geared towards indigenous artists and art making. Um, because of the funding structure shifting, uh, new criteria were being placed on artist-run centers to collaborate more with indigenous people and indigenous communities in Canada and part of their funding could be affected by them not honoring indigenous knowledges. From your perspective, is a systemic built-in stream like that for the good? I'm going to answer in two parts. Uh, systemic funding stream specifically geared towards indigenous art and art artists is so important. Mm -hmm. um, it's so important because there is a 10,000-year history of Indigenous art history in Canada, and mm -hmm. the funding stream like this acknowledges that history. It sends a very clear uh, message to that history, and that Canada should be acknowledging that history. A funding stream like that also helps us as Indigenous artists and producers to remember the art helps us to practice our knowledges. The art helps us to imagine ourselves in the future. The art helps us to imagine ourselves in the past. The art helps us to build a relationship to uh, cosmology and to know that we are related to a cosmology, a worldview, a sense of ourselves and the universe. All of that stuff was actively interrupted by Canada for quite a while during the potlatch ban, but also afterwards in the residential school and the 60s group. The inheritance of the ancestor artists to artists like myself today, we have to work harder to understand the structures that these artists were utilizing to make the work. We are able to do it. We also need the money to really do that work. I spoke to the Canada Council for the Arts directly to better understand the rationale behind its design and how they perceive it to be meeting the priorities of contemporary artist-run culture. Sylvie Gilbert was head of visual arts at the Canada Council starting in 2013 and is now director of their Digital Art Fund. Joining Sylvie is Francois Dion, a program officer for the visual arts section. The new funding model provides something that is also um, another way of thinking instead of looking at the type of organization we support and the way the old model was. We supported museum, we supported artist one center, we supported artists. What the new funding model does, it, it explains, or maybe badly sometimes, but I think it does provide the committee a way to understanding that we are supporting Activity. We're not supporting who you are. We support you for what you're doing. 
if right. you want to be supported for the creative what, how did you say that? Oswald? I call, they I call like it creative processes. Creative processes. Supporting artists, supporting discourse, supporting the development of activities or a creation of activities as opposed to having activities that are more geared towards the public or finding an audience or developing an audience for new contemporary practices. As you know, artist-run centers are not all alike, they're all very different, even though they have the same name, it's like museums, you know, all museums are very different, some of them have different things, they have, so artists one center have different personality, different mandate, different way of behaving, different governance, different way of interacting or not with audience and being more interested in publishing, others are more interested in making new work, so they all do different things across the country. Right. So the new model allows artists one center to find the program that is most suited to them and what they want to do instead of having a program that puts everybody in the same basket and then like this is what an artist run center should be doing. <laughs> so the Canada Council yeah. has been instrumental in establishing the success of artist run culture in Canada and we'd like to know how the new model continues that support. Um, I think that more than the council has been helping the success, I think artists run center have made their own success. I mean, of course, the council funded them, but if there was not the impetus from the community and from artists wanting to organize and work for the sector and work for themselves and better their practice, uh, the council saw a phenomenon and supported it in the way it's supporting many other organizations in the country. So the success lies in within the artist-run center culture. The council supported them, of course, but we're not the creator of the artist-run center as the history is often, you know, it's a success story that belongs to the artist. The history of Canada's artist-run culture is well rehearsed at this point, but in need of perpetual reevaluation. So here we move from the Canada Council's account of that history to that of storied art historian, writer, and curator Peggy Gale, who, among other key roles in artist-run culture's founding and scholarship, was the executive director of one of the country's oldest artist-run centres, A-Space, in the early 1980s. Peggy has also held leading roles at the National Gallery of Canada, Art Metropole, and the AGO, and has contributed foundational writing and curating to the emerging fields of video art, performance, and artist writing. Why was artist-run culture so prominent and successful, do you suppose, uniquely in Canada? Well, partly because it was filling a vacuum, or if not filling one, then at least moving into one. Yeah. Partly also because Canada really has a history of communications issues. You can look at it as far as John A. Macdonald, for all the good and bad he did with the, the National Railroad. At least that he did. McLuhan and before him Harold Innes were communications specialists. Innes' famous book was The Fur Trade and that was all about reaching across the country. Mm. Um, the fact that we're basically a, a giant oblong of a country with a very skinny mm -hmm. line of population across the bottom, I mean of course we're all over the country, but the real population in terms of density, density is across the bottom. Yeah we've needed to pay attention to how messages get across. And so I think all of those things are background. So the combination of 
a relative vacuum of places for particularly the kind of contemporary art that was happening in the early 70s and forward that tended to be dematerialized and tended to be not particularly saleable, but there were very few commercial galleries anyway. So there was that sort of vacuum issue. But also Canada really did have this history of consciousness for communication. And I think the video that happened here happened really jumped into third gear um, for the same reasons. Yeah, that's really, that's an important observation. And not to sort of reverse engineer this conversation, but to sort of account for why there was a vacuum. Can, can, do you have any insight as to why we didn't have the beginnings of a market established or, or anything that artist-run culture wouldn't have been sort of seeking to account for a lack of? Well, in a word, provincialism. The National Gallery of Canada was established by artists in 1890-something or other. So it's not like the artists in the 70s or the late 60s they were inventing something new in artist-run centers. Um, Canada has not been forward-looking. It invents certain kinds of things in certain areas, but the arts have not been a priority. Mm. And ever since forever, as far as I can tell, we've always looked to Britain first, and then to the US, and then to Europe. I mean, there has always been a lot of artist activity here, but it hasn't been valued certainly not by the purchasing population. And the purchasing population are also looking to Britain or the US or Europe, and they don't tend to buy here, or now they do, because some of the galleries here are really absolutely on that level. For a long time, it was simply thought that anything you could buy here was not important enough. Right. I mean, there has always been some some commercial culture here for the arts, but, I don't know, when the Canada Council was established in 55, it was because it was clear that that there was a huge need for recognition of what was happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, even now people are, there are very few artists who can support themselves by their art. Everybody has another job, practically. But in 55, what what could you do? So the Canada Council, it was it's called the Massey Commission, I think, was established partly to rectify that and to assist not only, I mean, in fact, Canada is one of the very few places, or certainly was then, um, where you get personal grants. I mean, in Europe, for example, pretty, pretty much all senior culture operas and theatre and all those places and television and radio are, are all national subsidies, but it's not common to get personal grants. Mm -hmm. So here there weren't national subsidies either for most of these institutions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like there was an enormous job to do. But I think the the fact that the artist-run centers were established was partly in recognition of this. And we, we can't do much, but let's start something. Peter Morin's practice often challenges dominant narratives of cultural knowledge and history within arts institutions by insisting on the presence and performance of Indigenous histories and contemporary contributions. Here Peter discusses the Indigenous legacy of artist-run culture. So, um, thinking about and acknowledging the history of tribe and urban shaman and Segewiwak, which were created as a result of and in response to and in reaction to what wasn't happening for Indigenous artists in the mainstream artist-run center movement. I love thinking about Grand Gallery 
drunk galleries mandate uh, for the majority of its time as an artist-run center to support emerging artists, indigenous artists, and part of its uh, mandate was also to support indigenous performance art. And what's amazing about that particular space is now it has this archive of 30 years of indigenous performance art. That piece is very kind of a fascinating thing because often artists run center culture and art gallery culture in Canada, it has uh, it suffers from memory loss. These artist run center archives are kind of very active spaces of memory and body. But you do also have these artist run centers. You know, there's a few that have 40 year history, like Western Front or Open Space, more than 40 years now, I guess. Not those, not those in particular, but this goes across the board where there isn't a 30-year ongoing history. Maybe in 40 years they have had 10 solo exhibitions of Indigenous artists. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which seems tragic in a, in a lot of ways, you know? Not that I want to focus on the tragedy. I don't think that develops our conversation, but it affords us an opportunity to figure out ways to build new pathways for Indigenous artists. I think Canada wants to forget that there is 10,000 years of Indigenous art history on these territories. You know, the original art galleries are Indigenous art galleries, you know, like Mm -hmm. that history is also here too. Um, The emergence of artists from center culture out out of a particular need is an important part of that history. There is a history also of innovation for like a lot of artistic practices like you know artists are constantly reacting or moving with current trends but also making our own pathways i like to think a lot about breaking trail as a taltan person walking on the land and breaking trail is an important part of, of how knowledge is produced History and legacy is a complex question when it comes to artist-run centers. As Peter Morin made clear, from an Indigenous perspective, certain histories are essential aspects of present thought and practice. However, 40 years of critical evaluation may have exhausted our appetite for looking closely at the legacy of artist-run culture, or as Caitlin Jones sometimes feels, the maintenance of that legacy can obscure contemporary issues. I don't understand this obsession with the artist-run center. And I think that because while I grew up in Canada, my kind of professional career happened in New York City. My contemporary art history knowledge, I mean, I knew about artist-run centers, I knew about the importance of the Western Front and Mercer, you know, all these places, I understood those things, but it just wasn't as forefront on my mind. So when I moved back to Vancouver and there is, as you know, and in Vancouver, maybe in particular, people put a ton, a ton of importance on this legacy question, this issue of history and the way things were done and, and what things are supposed to be and what they're not supposed to be. Yeah. So for me, this kind of question about what's the relevance of a, of a artist run center today in a contemporary context, it's like, it's so wound up in that ideology that it's kind of hard to pull apart what I think are these two very separate things, which is like, what is a young, interesting space driven by artists and ideas who are producing and exhibiting and socializing in the same place? 
and what is a 45-year-old institution that was that once, but now has curators, has an executive director that go home. But our ethos is that we are driven by what artists want to do. Right. All of these kinds of types of activities are still conflated under this one phrase. And there's a lot of people who can speak to that better than I can, but I am really always very interested by this ongoing conversation, why it takes up so much of our space. That's interesting. And then to go back to something else you were saying, uh, I wonder, given the age of your institution, how much of the institution's activity is focused on the kind of preservation of its legacy, be that in physical archiving, but also in um, kind of talking about the history of the Western Front and making that history known. That's a real hot issue for us, obviously. I mean, in terms of like physical time, we do have an archivist here that is two days a week, but it's not doesn't take up a huge amount of our resources. We just simply don't have the budget to make it a larger piece of what we do here. But the legacy question is overwhelming sometimes. You know, we feel very lucky to work at an institution that has such an incredible origin story and history, but that can also be a massive weight to carry around. When I started at the Western Front, I had weekly calls from people in the community telling me what I could and couldn't do, what I could throw away. Oh, I heard you were throwing away heat-sensitive fax paper. Don't you know that that same type of fax paper was used for, like, every single thing is a bit precious. So it's really a difficult line to walk sometimes. It's a privilege, but it's a challenge. And I think in the last eight years, we have really worked hard on creating a program for now. And when people ask us questions about the history, we acknowledge the history and then choose to talk about what we're doing now. And now an ad from one of our sponsors. Toronto's Olga Korper Gallery presents It's About Time, the second solo exhibition by Kelly Mark, which is absolutely, as advertised, about time. The work exudes all of Kelly's typical irreverence and masterful wordplay, from a massive print of her time punching in and out of the studio to a silent video of the artist herself as she speaks with her hands in hello and goodbye. It's About Time remains on view until November 10th and runs concurrent with Art Toronto, where Olga Korper will be presenting a booth. As Lorna Brown put it at the top of this episode, we have not seen the last of artists' self-organization and self-determined activity. In this final chapter, we have asked our contributors to think towards the future, asking what are the most pressing issues going forward and how are these issues being addressed? We've seen artist-run culture in Canada change quite dramatically, I would argue, especially in the last decade, decade and a half. Do you see the need for artist-run culture having changed? Well, first of all, I think it's inevitable and probably good. In fact, almost necessarily good. I mean, at the time that I was fully involved, um, there was a certain point where when you've got a certain amount of history and a certain, let's call it a track record, then you should start taking yourself more seriously than you might have if it was just a couple of kids and an orange crater too. I think it's necessary and good that professionalism becomes established because that sort of self-belief and it's also making for a solid foundation for what happens next. 
I guess to speak further on to the conversation about an interaction between kind of past goals of artist-run culture and current goals. Um, so if we see it, you know, very simply in Canada as something that was established to give room to underrepresented practices, do you think that that's still the goal of artist-run culture? And do you think that goal I, is still necessary? We critically center that these that these centers critically revolve around artists you know that's of course absolutely that's why we still need them that's why they're different not because the work that's being produced here is necessarily different than what's being shown at the Vancouver Art Gallery but because these spaces allow time for artists to think to reflect to fail at something to determine what their project looks like free from the pressures of being in a larger institution or doing it in a gallery space. I think this controversy that's arisen at Open Space in Victoria is a really critical moment and a real space for reflection for all artist-run centers. And I say that without expressing a strong opinion about whether what has happened is good or bad or, or not. But I think like if artist-run centers can't be representing people of color, indigenous issues, and taking that on as, you know, not just allies, but strong, strong advocates for, for these issues, then we aren't doing very good job you know we're not responding to our context you know the benefit of being these limber institutions is that we have the power to kind of address these issues in a way that other institutions don't have and and the fact that we're not as a whole doing that as well as we could be or that's I guess maybe another reason why I think artist-run centers are really good to like keep keep them and keep them distinct from these other types of art institutions that we have is that an issue like the erasure of the word indigenous from a curatorial title has such huge ramifications kind of across the country and, and, and forces institutions to think through what it means to say that you support a certain way of curating and being and whether you're able to actually do that work just within the last three weeks has forced me to think a lot about Western Front in relation to all these issues. Yeah. And have you come to any conclusions in the thinking you've been doing? Um, you know, no, not really. I mean, the Western Front, you know, we have a number of Indigenous artists that have been in the very recent past and in the future, and Pablo de Ocampo has, and Alison Collins have both been working a lot with African-American artists and Afro-Canadian artists. So we're making a very concerted effort to really creating diverse programming, um, I don't want to say to like make up for the past, but it's like, no, this is actually what is, we're a majority white institution, but it's like, if you're trying to address issues that are so key to this particular moment, if you're continuing to show white artists or you're continuing to kind of erase the presence of indigenous roles within the community, then like you're A, you're not doing your job very well and B, you're not relevant to the current contemporary conversations that are happening. So I think that's where we're feeling. It's just like this stuff is all coming to a head right now. And isn't it amazing to think that we can support non-white artists with actual financial resources, but also be engaged in these conversations in a really, I hope, in a productive way.
One of the major observations about artist-run centers that has come up in a lot of the interviews we've been doing is that much like the impetus for their original creation to give space for practices, uh, for the exhibition of practices that didn't exist, like contemporary or dematerialized practices, um, indigenous artists now are seeing artist-run spaces as a way to rectify what they see as a similar lack in opportunities for exhibition. Um, and I know the Canada Council has commissioned several studies on artist-run centres in Canada that have noted an inconsistency of funding for Indigenous artist-run spaces. And we'd like to hear how the new funding model is addressing this. Oh, the, yeah, we have the amazing uh, Creating, Knowing and Sharing program that is completely dedicated, run by, and uh, uh, Indigenous driven <laughs> program where organization can apply um, if you're run by and for uh, you know indigenous practices uh, there's an entire program that's there just for you so uh, for those organizations so the correction has been major it's one of the most important strategic aspect of our strategic plan but it's also one of the most important aspects of the granting strategy of the council in the last year where uh, council tripled the budget to, um, you know, the, the uh, knowing, creating knowing and sharing uh, program. Uh, so there's an, it's been a major investment from the Canada Council. Yeah, it's very important because there's been, um, you know, a major influx of different ways of funding organization based on um, uh, indigenous um, self-governance and, um, We've recognized practices and ways of, of organizing that usually were not that much supported in the old model. So that's been one of the major corrections in the new funding model. I, I want to talk about what you are seeing uh, um, in terms of solutions um, being improvised or laid out right now to what many would uh, regard as a broken system or one that has strayed too far from its initiatives 30, 40 years ago. Um, I know, of course, there's Tanya Willard doing amazing amazing work with Bush Gallery. I wonder if there's any other um, citations you would make or observations you would have around how the particularly Indigenous community is responding to the contemporary moment of artist-run culture. <laughs> I, I want you to just ask me what my favorite color is. I think this is the, the, the precipice right now for artist-run center culture as well, just as a, as a side note. When it really starts get, getting rolling, Indigenous artists are just going to keep getting better and better and better. Momus the Podcast is co-produced and co-hosted by Sky Gooden, that's me, and Lauren Wetmore. We would like to thank all our contributors to this episode. Caitlin Jones, Peter Morin, Peggy Gale, Sylvie Gilbert, and Francois Dion. With special thanks to Lorna Brown for her text. Momus the Podcast is edited by Jacob Irish, features original music by Kyle McRae, and assistant production from Mitra Shiram. Season one of Momus the Podcast is brought to you with the help of the Canada Council for the Arts New Chapter Grant.